The president's legal team coming out yesterday saying, no, he does not have the cash or the liquidity to put up the escrow for his appeal. What does that mean? Might we see him have, in essence, a fire sale on some of his most prized assets uh, so that he can uh, bankroll his own appeal? Also, the Supremes have agreed to take up the immunity question. That comes April 22nd. What does that mean for the timing of this case? And will they get it in before the election? For these and other questions, we turn to Matthew Schneider, leader of investigations and white-collar defense at Honigan Law, also the former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Matthew, hello. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me again. Good to have you on. So just how broadly will the Supremes explore this? Will they just put it within the context of election interference, or will they set some very, you know, uh, express limits on presidential immunity. What should we expect? We should expect that they'll answer the question directly. They put that question out there to the parties about whether or not does the president have immunity, and if he does, to what extent. So they are going to answer that question. Does the president have absolute immunity from prosecution, yes or no? And more than likely, after they answer that question, then they're going to narrow it. So if the answer is no, he doesn't have immunity, then in what situations can he be immune from prosecution? How is that related to his conduct, his actions, his speech, his other activities Mm -hmm. as president? So they'll break it down, but they will directly answer the question. Matthew, uh, uh, the uh, former president claimed on Truth Social that constitutional scholars are celebrating the decision. Are, are there any scholars that believe that this, his broad immunity claims have merit, or is the timing alone a victory for the president? Well, there's a thousand opinions on this. So there's people on both sides. Probably their best argument is that this would create a burden on the presidency, and you wouldn't want a president looking over his or her shoulder trying to decide, well, if I leave office, am I going to be criminally prosecuted? Therefore, I will or will not take this action. But look, you know, for Trump's team celebrating that they took this up, I wouldn't be so sure about that. I mean, I used to work at the Michigan Supreme Court, and I remember – Uh, an attorney coming in front of the court and saying to the justices, I'm really glad you took up this case. And one of the justices said, did it ever occur to you that we took this case so we could decide against you? This guy was flabbergasted. But sometimes they do that, right? There are motivations for the justices. And as far as the timing, the chances of us seeing this before the election, that's unlikely it's possible but highly unlikely well the doj kind of has this tradition or at least a policy of not taking up politically consequential uh, actions right before an election so even if they could get this pretrial stuff done by september will they run afoul of that well the justice department's rule on getting involved in politically sensitive charges that is about when to file a case that's when the Justice Department has complete control about when to bring it. After they bring the case, that spins out of their control. They're at the whim of the judge and the defense, and there's uh, laws regarding the governing of timing of trial. So I don't think they'll run afoul of that because the case is already brought. Initially, um, Matthew, the Supremes were briefed. It was February 15th, but they waited two full weeks to respond. Should we read anything into that? 
I would read two things into that. Number one is this isn't the most um, significant case on their docket. It is significant to us because we follow politics, but they have that Second Amendment case involving domestic violence. They have a case involving bump stocks. Those cases are also very important. Number two, I would also look at how justices take up these cases. It takes four votes to take a case. It takes five votes to grant a stay, which mm. has been done effectively in this mm -hmm. case. So I would read in that maybe they had some discussions about getting that fifth vote, and it took them a while to come around to this and find a way to grant it while staying the proceedings below. In the civil fraud case in New York, $455 million judgment against the former president. He still has the $80-plus million verdict against him in Eugene Carroll. He must put up uh, a bond equal to that amount in order to move forward with his appeal. This isn't something that's directed at him. This is common policy. Uh, he initially swept away any concerns about his ability to cover the bond requirement. Now his team has gone in and requested a $100 million to cut it by 75%. Um, it doesn't look like that they're going to grant that. What kind of jeopardy does that put the Trump financial empire in? Uh, it puts them in a lot of jeopardy. However, Donald Trump has faced a lot of legal jeopardy in the past, including bankruptcy, and he's used the bankruptcy laws to protect himself, and he's done that quite effectively. In this case, it's not that he can't appeal. He can appeal his case. The issue is whether or not he can come up with enough money to stop the proceedings below so he doesn't have to pay the collections. And now, with the judge saying you can go to New York banks, he could put together a conglomeration of different banks. He's certainly not going to get it all from one, but he has more options. He also has access to foreign capital, as I've said before mm -hmm. on your show. So, you know, there are still people who will lend to him. And so... And but will so they he, view him as a good risk? As a risk, you? right. Right, precisely. Um he he has properties all over the all over the world however and whether or not he's a, a good risk in new york city you know he has these golf courses in different countries he might have he might be a good risk in other places where they will lend him money so he does have options available to him this i want to ask you about hunter biden you know he's answering all the questions didn't take the fifth in his appearance before the house oversight committee were you surprised by that or how would you interpret the decision to it accept, uh, you know, some legal peril? I was not entirely surprised because he's charged related to guns and, uh, you know, drugs and taxes. He's not effectively being questioned precisely about that. He's being questioned about business operations. And look, I, as an attorney at Honigman, I've put witnesses in front of the House uh, committees before, and I've always brokered an agreement ahead of time. Here are the questions. Here are the parameters. If you're not willing to stick within those parameters, we're out of here. And if Hunter Biden, I'm sure his lawyer brokered something like that, mm -hmm. and the agreement would have been, if you start talking about my federal case and guns, we're done. And there's no reason for the House committee to not follow that because they want to answer the, ask the questions right. about the business operations. Matthew, thank you so much. We appreciate your insights. A lot of activity, and we'll await that April 22nd hearing and the public hearing for Hunter Biden, which hasn't been scheduled yet. Should be interesting. Likewise. Thank right. you. Take care, Matthew Schneider, Honigman Law.